Hello, my name is Katie and this is my friend Howard. In a moment, we're gonna be reading the scripture for today. Um, and in honor of God's word, if you're not already standing, would you stand with us? We're gonna be reading the scripture and at the end, we are going to be saying, Howard and I will say this is the word of the Lord and you can respond with us by saying thanks be to God. This is Luke 19, 28 to 44. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found out, just, it found it just as he had said. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed, Blessed is, is the King, king who comes in the name, name of the, the Lord. Lord. Peace, Peace in heaven earth, and glory, and glory in, the in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept and said, If you, even you, have only known of this day what the day of peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. They will come upon you with your enemies who are building a bank against you and circle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This, this is, is the, the word, word of the, of the Lord. Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Please be seated. see your faces. Oh, nice. Thank you. Now I can see your faces. <clears throat> All right. Um, just in case my weariness from this time of the year overwhelms me, let me tell you first where we're going <laughs> so that you know where we went, even if I get us lost. Fair? Okay. Today, what I want you to understand when we read this passage or to identify with, there's a number of things we could look at. I want you to be able to experience with the crowd the message of hope. Hope to a really weary world, which this may be very self-centered, but I feel like I embody that today. <laughs> 
Who else? And the second thing I'm going to show you in the text, although hopefully you can... I decided not to be a scholar today. I set all the scholarly stuff aside and I just read the text. You guys can do that too. But I want you to see that these people's wildest hopes were still far too limited. They just couldn't grasp the bigger thing that God was doing, even though they were literally screaming in the streets and praising and waving palm branches and throwing their garments on the ground so that the donkey didn't have to step on the ground (laughs) because it was carrying Jesus. And all of that hope was still too small. So that's where we're going. Got it? Hope? Wildest hope still too limited? And remember. All right. Now, if I get there, I get there. If I don't, I told Tim when that clock hits about 30, he can come up on stage and just thank me (laughs) and drag me off. Uh, Last week, Jim and I got to go away for vacation with the two youngest kids who are still at home. Uh, In fact, I talked a little bit about the sermon on the trip, and I was saying, you know, I usually preach from the Old Testament. And Emily said, Mom, you need to branch out. I did not get it. So if you laughed, you're a bigger New Testament nerd than me. She was referring to the palm branches. I just sat there like, I don't understand. So anyway, I promised her I would tell you that as my opener. So we had, you can tell from that joke, we had a fantastic time. In fact, I feel like I left half of me back there. We sat in the sun. We visited family members on our way down there. We sat at the beach. It was 80 degrees and sunny. We didn't get too burnt. We ate great food. We slept in. Jim napped every day, which is a switch for us because usually I nap twice a day. <laughs> and I didn't, we just had such a great time. Um, it was fabulous. And honestly, it could not have come at a better time. We were exhausted. This is a tougher time of the year anyway for me. Um, April marks the month of all four of our children we don't get to raise, so I get kind of uh, melancholy in April. It's also um, coming near the end of the semester, and I've been like pouring myself out the best I can in classes and to students and hearing their pain. Young adults today are amazing. And what they're walking through, you'd never know by watching. They're just phenomenal. And it's such an honor and a privilege to share those things, but it's exhausting. And plus, I love to teach from the Old Testament. And the reason I love to teach from the Old Testament is because people don't understand it. So like, unlike this passage where I'm going, oh, shoot, what if I teach it wrong? Everybody knows this passage in the Old Testament. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something you didn't know before. But the other thing about teaching the Old Testament is there's a reason people don't understand it. It's hard. And by the end of the year, I'm just done. I tell my students at the end of every year, this summer, I'm going to not be a scholar because I'm tired of looking at, like, is God really good if he still kills people? I'm just going to walk with him. Like, take your questions 
elsewhere. I study it all year long, and in the summer, I'm just going to kind of trust him. I'm just going to enjoy him, because while those questions energize me the rest of the year, I'm, I'm tired now. And um, <clears throat> two things with that. One, I'm not going to make myself look at this text like a scholar. We're just, I walked in today and people are talking about the text as we're getting together in groups and I'm like, oh no, I think I'm teaching it wrong. They know more about me. I had to call my Old Testament buddy, because I don't have a New Testament buddy, <laughs> and say, Colt, uh, horse, donkey, like, <laughs> help me out here. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I won't tell you what they told me to say. But anyway, it wouldn't be as funny with the middle schoolers up there. Anyway, apparently it's a donkey. I'm going to just let us look at this text today for the multi-levels um, that, you know, we just, we see when we read. I'm just going to walk us through it. The other reason I share the exhaustion is because one thing I was uh, very aware of on my trip is that while my exhaustion might have different triggers this time of year, it seems to be a shared cultural experience. Um, whether it's, I don't even need to go through the things. You guys all know them. We're walking in a tired, uncertain time. And just when you're like, oh, it couldn't get worse, war breaks out. In fact, while I was on vacation, um, I got to catch up on all my friendships. This is how I do friendships, it's kind of lame. Marco Polo, it's like this app where you video each other when you have chance. And so it had been weeks since I had videoed my friend over in Germany. And, I listened to her videos, and as I was listening to her, she said the exact same things that I was feeling. She just said, everything's good, kids are good, healthy, we're doing well as a family. It just feels so heavy right now. And then she started, you know, with COVID, and they had a massive flood earlier in the year that wiped out their entire, literally wiped out the first floor of every building in town ripped up the streets, and they're recovering from that, and then Ukraine, and she's like, you know, I feel bad just complaining, and, and listening to it, I felt like we were twins in our emotions, <clears throat> and I realized that weariness isn't just a cultural experience that we share, it's a global experience that we share. And as I was reading this passage, I read it over and over on break, just to, like, not study, but get into it, because, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. All I could sense was the overwhelming excitement of these people because of the weariness of their life. We'll see when we read through it that the figure that they believe that Jesus is, and he is, is the answer to thousands of years of prayer. I know you guys all know this. Young and old, I know you know this. I sometimes need to be reminded. But we do not live in the only hard time in history or in the hardest time in history. It feels like that in these last two years, but we know this. But it's been hard. This is called life in a broken world. And this Jewish people were exiled in a broken world, and they were longing for the hope. Because the same way that we celebrate Easter, which we'll talk about in a second, 
they had this thing they celebrated called Passover. And they'd been celebrating it for not quite 2,000 years. And it was a reminder of an event where God delivered his people in a majestic way that no one but God could have done. This like, you were slaves in another nation with no leader, overworked. You, they were slaves. And God came in and just said, come on with me. And then he went <laughs> and literally parted seas so that they could walk up. And then he was like, you know what, I think you're hungry. Let's give you sweet bread every night. Oh, you want some meat? Here's some quail. I would have been like, chicken. You get chicken, it's cheap. He's like, no, quail. And he does all of this amazing stuff to deliver them, and the people are going to look back at that time every single year as both a celebration of what he did Like, look, this is the God we serve. But even more than that, with a growing hope that he's going to do that for them again. And so it's that sort of stuck in between time. And as the text starts, we can put it up there. As the text starts, Jesus has kind of wrapped up a lot of his ministry. And it says like, uh, after Jesus said this. And I was like, oh, I better tell him what Jesus said because I always start with context. Yeah, everything. Everything Jesus said. After Jesus said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem and as he approached, I had to ask how to pronounce this one too, Bethphage, which I'll leave my joke out. Anyway, and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, Olives he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you And as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. Isn't it fun? I have no idea what scholars say about this. I... Well, I started to look, but I got dizzy. Just cool. It's just cool. Sometimes just let it be cool. He's God. Hey, there's this cult over there, and I need it to go right into the city. Go get it, and no problem. They know who I am. They're going to give it to you because I'm Jesus. There might be more that scholars say, but that's what I say. All right, they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Have you ever, it's been a long time for me, so I couldn't even think of a comparison, but have you ever been in a setting where, like, you're just absolutely swept away with the crowd and the emotions of it all. This is why some people prefer to go to games than watch them on TV where you can see so much more clearly everything that's happening. But you can't feel the swell. The closest I could think of was 
I remember one time as a kid being in a movie theater and the movie got over and people stood and cheered and I was like, yes, this is the best movie ever. I don't even remember what movie it was. <laughs> but there was this surge and that's what's going on with these people. They're laying the way, this triumphal entry. And for me, right now, in this incredibly weary, exhausting time in life, although I can't imagine what it would look like to have a figure that would so awaken my tired heart that I would see that much hope and join in, I just, I, it's hard for me to fathom right now. I'm tired, even after a break. There there is something so profound about the life and ministry of Jesus that we're studying as a church, the whole book, so we're going to know better than most people <laughs> exactly what that ministry is that Luke's talking about. But there's something so profound that they're going, this, this thing that we celebrate for not quite 2,000 years every year, every year, 2,000 years. Uh, I need to put that into perspective because I don't get it. Do you guys know how long we've been celebrating Thanksgiving? It's like our foundational roots as an American culture. I was kind of hoping one of you would know because I didn't look it up. But <laughs> it's not that long. It's certainly not 2,000 years. It's not quite 2,000 years for Passover either, but give me some poetic license. And they're going, this, this is the answer. This is what we've been waiting for. And then they, they say together these words. Some texts, well, I'm just glad we got Luke. All right. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, little hint, whenever the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, it's kind of like in my family, we're not that righteous, we don't quote the scriptures, we have movie quotes. <laughs> so when something happens, we all, someone will say the movie quote, and we all kind of picture the scene in our mind, and then the conversation loses track for about five minutes, because we're all like saying the next quote, or another quote we like, or it just goes all over the place, but we're all on the same page. That's what's happening with these people. This is their word, these are their, this is their Bible, this is their text. Not only that, but they know Psalm 118 really well because I learned this too. Um, this is one of the texts that they read every year at Passover. So every person in the audience has read this text every single year on the very week that we're talking about. So when they're singing these things, this is what they're hearing. And I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing. It's kind of long. But there will be, I can almost promise this, there will be at least one verse out of this Psalm 119 that jumps out at you that would be kind of your movie quote that you would identify. Maya, there's one in here for you. This is your, I know, I didn't know. I write, was reading it. I'm like, that's Maya's favorite verse. There's going to be something familiar to you in here. In fact, we're going to have this up on the screen, and if the words are underlined, I want you to say them. It won't happen a lot, don't worry. So it starts, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, 
Let the house of Aaron, which, by the way, is just the priests in Israel, say, Let those who fear the Lord say, Yeah, and then I expect something really happy. And instead it says, In my anguish, I cried out to the Lord. And he answered me by setting me free. As these people are cheering, this is what they're identifying with in this exhausting time of exile where we aren't even free to worship God the way we need to in our own capital city, Jerusalem. He sets me free. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He's my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me. That's not a good thing. <clears throat> it means they're like trying to attack. That's the imagery. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Code for slaughtered them in one. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees, but they died out as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was, put, I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. My favorite verse. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory shout, sat, resound. I'll get the word, in the tents of the righteous, and the Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he's not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's said way back here, but the people who are shouting this are like, today's the day. The salvation is here. Look, he's riding forward. <clears throat> now I lost my place. Ah, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, Lord, save us. Oh, Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God. He has made his light shine upon us with boughs in hand. Palm branches, stuff like that. Join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. That is what the people are shouting. Like, I don't know about you, I know that I'm not in exile, 
and I know that my life isn't as hard as theirs, but I read that, and over and over and over again, my heart's like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Yeah, that would be really nice. (laughs) And they're looking at this figure, Jesus, who's coming, and they're overwhelmed with hope. Can you kind of identify at least with the mood that's going on? Jesus ushers in hope. The passage that we're reading continues, though, because as Jesus looks out over the city, he sees a different view. And he knows what's coming within the next week. This is going to be the rockiest week the world has ever known. Even just remembering it in these next seven days, I get confused. I'm like, Friday, am I supposed to wear black? Am I supposed to be sad? Am I supposed to celebrate? He died for me. Yay? Sad? Ha! And that's just remembering it. These people are going to walk it. And Jesus knows what's coming. And he looks out over the city. And he says, oh, I forgot a part. Sorry, just a second. No, I can leave it on the table. All right. He approaches the city, and he wept over it, and he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Like, guys, you're celebrating me, but your wildest hope is so limited you're not going to be able to, you're not going to understand. You're going to turn on me in a week. Now, it may not even be the exact same people that turn on him. I think many of them are among the crowds. I think they're from, the scriptures tell us his best friends turn on him, all of this. It's not necessarily that they were wrong to have hope. Let's not forget, they were identifying the right person at the right time, and they were celebrating every way they knew how. But their wildest hope was too small. It's sad how much I feel like I can identify with that sometimes, especially Easter. I'm like, or I've been away for a week, and I'm like, oh, I can go back and face anything. And I get back, and it's cloudy. Like, well, I don't know if I can make it. <laughs> I'll leave it there. Jesus, in the passage that I'm not reading, but he goes on again. He goes to Jerusalem, the people who should know, and says they still don't know. It's still too small. And then he goes into the temple, like. If you can get more righteous than the capital of Israel, it should be the temple. And he walks in and he says, you don't even look like you served me. You've taken a house of prayer and made it into a house of robbers. Like, you're not, you're not getting it. Your wildest hope is founded in what is true, but it is still too small. Make sure that Tim doesn't have to come up on the stage and get me. Didn't say any of this. (laughs) 
It's right here. I mentioned <clears throat> that throughout, here, here's what I want to tell you about hope, okay? Here, you have to have applications, apparently, when you preach. <laughs> that was me glaring at Tim, because <laughs> I don't like to. I'll get to my two applications, and then we'll move on to the good stuff. You have hope. And if you haven't identified with that hope, you have now heard where that hope comes from, and I'll explain it just a little more in a minute. And even when you don't feel it, it's absolutely okay. But my challenge to you will be exactly what I will be doing all week long. Lord, please plant that hope so deep in my soul that it's unshakable and that it's past where the emotions go and it's past where the knowledge goes and it can look at what's happening around the world and not get confused because what's happening in the world doesn't look like who you say you are and what your plan is. That's what we do with our hope. That's what I'll do this week. And when I tell you that your wildest hope is too limited, celebrate that it only gets bigger. Everything you think you know about Jesus, everything you think you believe, everything you know he's going to do. Guys, he's coming back. And he's going to make it all perfect. And all of that, see, I was able to get a little excited, is still too dim compared to what he's actually going to do. And the final thing, this is where I'll I'll close. The final thing I said I want us to remember I sat down and I thought, I'll just tell them the gospel story. That's really easy. We don't do that a lot from the front. I'll just talk them through the week. That is not an easy story to tell. And you sound a little absurd when you tell it. You don't have to worry. God became a people and let himself be beat up and killed. So he took your sin, and now you don't have to die, except that you kind of still will die. But you're going to go to heaven and be with him. I don't know how the rest of the world evangelizes. It is a good thing God put me with believers all day long, because I'm like, I get it, but I don't know if he can get you to get it. But here's... Here's what I wrote. This crowd, this city, this world is going to experience the most dizzying week imaginable. We call it Passion Week or Holy Week or sometimes just the week leading up to Easter. This deliverer king that the people are cheering for is going to be betrayed by one of his closest friends for a cash bribe. Then he's going to be arrested and shuffled around among different rulers who are completely playing political power games. Then he'll be sentenced to death by someone too scared to kill him and presented to the crowd with a murderer. And the crowd gets to pick who goes free. This crowd, who was laying the jackets off their backs under the feet of the donkey, just because Jesus was riding on it, 
will join in the chant to have him nailed to a tree and hung there to die. Even if he were just a man, his death would have been brutal and unimaginable, as would the betrayal, the beatings, and the berating of the crowds. But this wasn't just a man. It was God. And God isn't supposed to die. And he certainly isn't supposed to let himself be bullied and beaten. But he did. And he died. And his body was wrapped up in cloth and placed in something like a funeral vault. And the vault was sealed and guarded. But this wasn't just God. It was a man, a person. And a person isn't supposed to come back to life. And he certainly isn't supposed to go forgive all those who betrayed him and then offer them life. But he did. And when it comes to explaining the hows and whys of this insane mystery of a deliverer king who was actually God, who gave his life, and then, even though he was still a man, came back to life, the Bible explains it this way. It was because he loves you. Every year we have a special time of celebration and remembrance. Again, I don't know if you're supposed to celebrate or cry. I, Passion Week just confuses me. And I want you to understand that even if you can't grasp the vastness of it, apparently that's acceptable and you're still a Christian. So just give it your best shot. But we also do something every week that reminds us of his sacrifice because I remember sitting one day in a faculty meeting and a new faculty member was asked to give the devotional and he stood up and he said, do you know how intimidating it is to give the devotional on your first day of work to a room full of Bible PhDs? And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, so I decided I'm gonna tell you the story that never gets old. The story that we're gonna be stopping each other on the streets of heaven and saying, did you know it was going to be this good? Have you seen Jesus today? Did you know how much he loved you? And every week when we take communion, we do that in remembrance of that time, that, that act, that crazy moment in history where the world kind of blew up and calendars restarted and and we started a new hope in the God that would deliver us. But it doesn't quite look like deliverance yet. And so we do this every week and we remember that he's coming back just like the crowd was doing. And when you do communion, we're going to take it now if you have your little cups. Um, <clears throat> Tim, I'm so glad these cups may be going by the wayside. There's actually two lids. The whole first week, I could not get into this cup. <laughs> There's a top sheet that you peel off and you can get to the wafer. That little wafer represents 
the body of Christ that he gave to take away the sins of the world? I know we say it with such certainty, but it should baffle the mind. And the second little clippy flasp thing will help you open it up and get into the the drink. And that reminds us of the blood of Christ, the blood he shed willingly for you. And then on Sunday, this coming week, even on Friday at 7, I learned at 10 and 9 and 11, we're going to be here at 10, (laughs) as usual. We're going to celebrate that it wasn't just a death, but that Christ showed his power even over death. Only God can do that. As he raised back to life and went home to the Father. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. And if you haven't, if you're waiting for me to give you a better clue, now it's time to take communion. Gracious Heavenly Father, we can't wrap our brains around who you are and what you've done. We can only say your name and thank you and praise you that if we are as um, kind of ignorant of your big time plans as other people throughout history have been that you accept that and that you did it anyway and that you love us and that while there are mysteries we can't explain that doesn't take away the truth of them and that what we need to know you've already told us you did this because you love us amen